Welcome to the second series of the JobOpo podcast, Changing Gear, where we'll discuss the challenges and opportunities that surround veteran employment, we'll meet sector influencers, speak with top oppos and others that are willing and able to offer their advice to our community. Please enjoy. Welcome up on this special preview of our employment and networking event to be held in Leeds on the 3rd of November. I'm delighted to be joined today by one of our keynote speakers, David Richmond, who's a former commanding officer of the Argyle and Southern Highlanders. He's had various leadership roles since leaving the military, notably recovery director for Help for Heroes. Uh, He works as a director of the Office of Veteran Affairs and an independent veterans advisor to UK government ministers. More importantly, he's one of us. He's a veteran. David Richmond, welcome onto the podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's very nice to join you. Um, David, first of all, um, you know, for listeners, what's involved in the, the, the independent veterans advisor role? I mean, you know, that it would seem obviously, you know, you are providing advice to the government ministers, but what does that involve on a, on a sort of day to day basis? What are the kind of things you, you get across? I think the um, I'll, I'll I'll start in a slightly different place and then I'll then I'll answer the question directly. I think I think the key word in my job title and this will sort of give hint of how what I go about my days doing is is independent, um, and therefore that what that really means is I'm not a civil servant and I'm not a polit- I'm not a political appointment and not a politician, uh, and I sort of sit connected to but outside the system, um, and 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 able to give independent. Uh, advice, insight, and challenge to ministers uh, involved in veterans affairs, uh, or, or those who have policy responsibility for things that will affect uh, veterans, um, and also to their senior officials. So, and I go about that by 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 um, actively getting out and about amongst the veteran community and finding out how things, what things look like from where they're standing, what their experiences are, how are the the great projects and and um, policies that are are created and and driven from the centre in Whitehall in London. How how are they how are they realised and and experienced on the ground um, in places well away from Whitehall? Um, and then I filter that through in my own sort of in my own visits and my own mind, and then I produce a sort of report for ministers with some recommendations and some observations on it. And I think that's you know that's where I think you know, the advice goes straight to ministers. It doesn't get filtered along the way, um, and um, I think I can draw their attention to things directly that maybe would otherwise take some time to get to them because of the machinery of government that would otherwise get in the way. Now you've mentioned there about giving them the perspective, if you like, from what it's like to be a veteran and from the veteran side of things. You know, there is a, and you know, we've had the phrase on this podcast. It is an all-encompassing kind of being you know being in the forces there's so much about you know the culture mm. the environment is that a point that they get I, you know i suppose from a veteran point of view you know talking about politicians etc do they get the fact that this is a kind of whole being commitment when you're in the military and that it's not the same as working in maybe one of the other public services etc do they, do they get that uh, that's a really good question i think unquestionably some get it more than others you know, there, there are a number of ministers now who did serve, and they, of course, they understand it. Um, there are a number of ministers, there are more ministers who didn't serve, and of course, they don't to the same degree. Um, and I, I think the it's it's an important point that 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 um, there is a growing appreciation of. I think would be the way I'd put it 
is there a universal understanding of it? No. Will there ever be? I, I doubt it because, of course, you won't fully appreciate it unless you've served, unless you've experienced that. But there is a growing appreciation of it. And I think one of the key one of the key um, things to achieve for me and for for others in similar positions, by which I mean the sort of commissioners in Scotland, Wales, and Ireland, and 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 other pressure groups, if you like, is to ensure that while there is so much attention being focused on some pretty big issues politically now, and there has been for quite a long time, that just because there isn't a shooting war going on, that our our troops, servicemen, and women are directly engaged in on a daily basis as there was for so long in the early 2000s that the, the issues of veterans don't doesn't slip down the agenda that it continues to have a sort of be somewhere near the top of the mast as they say in the navy i think that um it, it's something that's in their mind and there's a commitment to support and i think that becomes really important david the veteran support space is a very busy one the mix between you know commercial organizations and and charities how would you view that in terms of does that make it easy for the veteran to find what they need or do you think that confuses the space what's your thoughts on the the number of organizations in that space i, I describe that the veteran sector is, a, is like a it's like an ecosystem there are a huge number of players in it um it's it's ridiculously complicated and i think that what we have to do is ensure that that where we can we make things no more complicated and in fact a bit simpler if, if it's possible the the reality of it is though that that when you get into the th- sort of third sector aspects of this the th- all the charities are independent legal entities and they can they can play their part as they wish it's not they can't be told uh, to comply with with any particular direction other than legal direction of course because their trustees are responsible for that but i think there is a responsibility on the sector as a whole to work really hard to simplify and streamline where they can and not not seemingly at times go out of their way to make things more hideously complicated than they already are. Um, and, and I think it's, it is really important for people who work in the sector um, not to forget that, that, that while they're immersed in it and can navigate it fairly comfortably, the people we are supporting, the veteran community, are not immersed in this and therefore they don't know where to go and they don't see it from the same degree of expertise. And and it needs to be seen through the lens of the people we're trying to support and who we need to help uh, or promote or advocate for and not from the not from the perspective of the organisations there to do the support, um, if that makes sense. And I think um, continually looking at it from the outside in is an important is an important part of of my role and others. Um, out of all the things that we talk about in terms of supporting veterans and advocating for veterans, employment is obviously the big yeah. the big thing we are talking about. And the event uh, coming up in November is all around uh, that employment. Where does where does employment post military come in your discussions and your work on a day to day basis? Oh, right at the top, um, without without question, it's it's continually one of the top two or three issues, if not the top one, um, in almost every audience I, I spend time with um, and wherever they are in the country. You know, I, I think that um, the majority of guys and girls who leave these services are, are not leaving in their their 50s and 60s. They're leaving in their 20s and 30s. And and even those who, those rare um, other ranks who, who will do a 22-year career, they're only going to be 40 just, just about when they leave. They've still got 
more of their working career left in terms of time than they've already completed. You know, I think they're not even halfway if you leave at 40. So I think um, employment is absolutely the top. And it's so important that um, that guys and girls leaving, leaving the armed forces are not um, reticent about their military service in any way, are able to talk about it confidently, are able to um, display readily the, the, the transferable skills and qualifications that they have. Um, and that go and, and talk about the technical skills they've got and go beyond the sort of a, I describe it as the slightly lazy, lazy descriptions of, well, we've got, you know, the leadership and the teamwork and the punctuality and discipline and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Yes. To all of that. Of course, that's there. But in amongst the thousands, 14,000 um, or 15,000 people who um, who leave every year from the armed forces, um, you've got so many tradesmen. You've got you've butchers and bakers and candlestick makers and plant operators and and um, strategic comm specialists and date um, uh, communication specialists and HR specialists and dentists and doctors and pilots and carpenters and engineers of all sorts and shapes and sizes. Yeah, there's so many. There's far too many to list here. We so rarely talk about that, but that is who is leaving every year. And they yeah. should do so with real confidence. And I think yeah. there's a there's a there's a, a an onus on the services and the transition system to give them confidence about what they have to sell and the experiences they have to bring to bear to a civilian employer. And there's an onus on on defence and the and the uh, OVA uh, Office of Veterans Affairs um, and others to in, to better inform potential employers about what. That service leavers bring could bring to their businesses and yeah business- i think you make a really good point there about potential employers because you know quite often we hear employers saying oh well it's okay because you've got a pension anyway haven't you and it's that perception that everyone leaves a service mm. with full pension and they don't really need the work so they won't offer them so much yeah, and, and i suppose it's, change, it's changing that narrative isn't it it's changing that level of understanding in employers about yeah. what coming out of the military yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it, the skills and the experience that are coming out, the qualifications they hold, the investment that's already been made in people before they reach that point is is deeply impressive. And actually, you know, it's only when you leave you realise the investment defence makes in training. You know, we, when you're in service, you are trained for every job or just about every job you're posted to. That's not the case in civilian life. No. You've you've had a, an investment in training, which should be the envy of 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 uh, uh, civilian employers um and and i think you know particularly in a in a strategic context where there is a labor shortage across just about every industry then um there's a massive opportunity for service leavers and for businesses to tap into the talent that's flowing out of uh, out of the armed forces every year yeah and and i suppose the other side of that is you know we talk about informing business more about what's coming out and giving them a real expectation of, as you said the level of training that people mm. have received and to see past just the you're on time and you're kind of well presented is far more to us than that but i wonder if you know from your perspective do you also see there's maybe an onus on the service leavers and veterans there's things they could do better for themselves in preparing for that changing gear and preparing for leaving the service oh the for sure there is yeah yeah uh, absolutely i think there's yeah it's you need to start preparing for it 
as as early as is reasonably possible. And I, and I use those words deliberately because I do hear some people who will say, you need to start preparing to leave service the day you join it. And I think that's a bit of tosh, frankly. I mean, it, it, it wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great if you're able to do that? But actually, your 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 new service and the teams you're joining want you to be focused on what you're about to do and becoming part of the team and establishing yourself. And that's where your focus should rightly be. Yeah. But as yeah. you get to a point in your career where you're thinking about going to do something else, or maybe your time and service is just coming to its natural end anyway, then you really do need to start thinking about it. And I think there's there's so much that that can be done around developing and building those networks outside service. Um, with with people who you served with. I mean, I think one of the things that's, that's um, immediately evident as you step outside is that there are veterans every in every part of civilian life and every part of the business and commercial world. There are veterans serving. Now, whether you knew them or not is irrelevant. The very fact there's a connection there makes them inclined to help you, and I'm sure that they would. I've, I've never heard of people being turned away if they've asked. I, I think there's a trust element there. I think from my point of view, yeah. what I as soon as you know someone else has served, regardless of whether they're Army, Air Force, Navy, there is a trust yeah. element and that willingness to help. I think absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And start building your CV. And I mean, it's a pretty painful thing to start to sit down and write for the, from the beginning and then bounce it around some people who you trust who sit outside the system, sit outside the military and see what they think about it. Get some of their feedback on it and, and make some tweaks to improve it because you're going to continually do that for the for the rest of your civilian career, I should think. Um, and, um, and, and understand, I think, how to describe the skills and the experience you've got in a language which a civilian will understand. Yeah, absolutely. David, I, I want to kind of almost kind of turn this back to yourself now you've left the military you mm. you've gone on to do other things and if you think back to your own journey from uniform into what you do now is mm. there things you look back on now and say i wish i i wish i'd known what i know now then is there some things that you would kind of say look you know i i i kind of made that mistake or i had that experience would you look back on your your time in the first couple of years maybe since leaving to go there are some lessons there that i'd share with other people yeah, I think um, I mean, you know, my first move after leaving was to help for heroes as the recovery director. Uh, and that was a really easy one to make. Um, and it was only after I was I was in that role for a while, I, I realized the power of the people you know and the and the leverage it, you can potentially draw from it. And I don't mean that in any sort of underhand or or competitive way but you know as i was leaving help for heroes you know some some years down the line i i sat down and i thought actually blimey i know a lot of people both ones i'd served with and others and i started to spend a bit of time in my preparation for whatever i was going to do next and actually at that point i didn't really know um having a coffee with them having a beer with them spending some time with them following some of the, the connections that they offered to me um and um, you know, one thing leads to another, and you, you, your next, my next job appeared, appeared out of that, and your contacts become um, become friends, and you meet more of them. And so, actually, I think the biggest advice I would give to people who are leaving, um, and the vast majority, I guess, don't have the sort of comfortable first step I pr probably had, is that network is so important and there's a sort of fear and reticence around networking. It's no more than going and have a, have a, a chat with somebody in the mess. It's no more or no less than that. 
um, and, and, and investing time in, in letting people know you're around, letting people know that you're coming out uh, of the services, the kind of things you're interested in, um, and spending a few kid quid buying people coffees and, and beers in, in that sort of context is time that's always well spent. Yeah, the magic networking, isn't it? And, it? and it's kind of everyone's fear, yet we've got these really confident, self-assured people who are coming out of the military, and yet the idea of networking puts the fear of God into some of them. It, yeah, it all... yet they do it every day in the, in the mess, I, in the messes yeah. around the unit. Absolutely. Uh, David, I'm going to give you the top job for a day. I'm going to give you the job, you know, you, you've replaced Liz Truss in the current administration, oh, really? and you can do something now to champion or further the, the the cause of veterans if you had a magic wand if you had one thing that could make a biggest you think would make the biggest difference to veterans opportunities when they leave the military what would you put in place oh that's a that's a hell of a question blimey um I, I, actually i'm gonna i'm gonna answer it in a roundabout way but i hope i'll make the, the, the what i'm gonna say clear i think there's there's one of the problems we have at the moment is that we talk about service people and veterans in two breaths as if they're different people they're not different people it's the same people you are the same person you were when you were serving i'm the same person i was when i was serving it's just like we're just the other side of handing the id card in and therefore because we have this artificial separation caused by the protection put around people when they're serving in uniform by their single services in the mod and what happens afterwards it make it creates a gap it creates a gap in um, a physical, a, a gap in understanding about either the differences between service life and civilian life. It creates uncertainty. It creates gaps in in knowledge and and familiarity and lots of things. I would break down that. I would I would make the um, the that those last couple of years of your service much more fluid between serving and 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 your serving time and your veteran time. I'd introduce employers in large numbers much more to the armed services in a much more active way beyond just the big businesses and the, def the big defense industries, but local employers and everybody just getting to understand much better um, that the, the young men and young women who are serving and what they can bring when they leave and break down that barrier so that as people are stepping out into civilian life, they're not going out into the great unknown. They're going out into something they have a much better understanding of than they do now. Uh, and they have some relationships which extend well beyond their military service um, and, and professional relationships, I mean. And I would increase the opportunities for people in service to spend a year or two years with industry or with businesses. Now, the MOD would say, oh, my God, why should we encourage people to leave? You're not encouraging people to leave. And if you get this right, you're actually encouraging them to stay longer because you're placing them in a much better position the longer they stay for when they do finally step out into commercial employment. Yeah, sorry to jump in there. I think you made a great point there about not just the big players, employers, you know, post-leaving, but introducing them to local employers, businesses in the yeah. area that they are probably at their last unit and nearby, because, of course, the family's got connections to that area already. They've been there a while, and actually they wouldn't have to then uproot and go the other end of the country to chase a job. So I think that's a really important point about that connection to the community that it is outside the wire, but in your locality. Uh, really, really strong message. Because I think the natural London Whitehall tendency is to connect with big business. Big, uh, big business. But um, the vast majority of service leavers do not work for big, big corporations or big businesses. They go and work for small and medium-sized businesses all over the UK. 
and those connections are so important and i'm not sure we've got them right yet um david richmond like, fan- fantastic to get your thoughts and uh and insights into the, the role that you have but also your thoughts on on how we can improve employment opportunities for veterans really looking forward to uh getting faith face-to-face and meeting up in, in Leeds. Um, I'm sure all the operators that are attending will want to pick your brains a little bit further on some of those points. But uh, David Richmond, thank you very much for joining us on this uh, special preview of our Leeds event. Dominic, it's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to seeing you and everybody uh, in Leeds. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Job Oppo's podcast, Changing Gear. We hope you enjoyed it. Job Oppo is committed to changing the narrative around veteran employment, and we see veterans as valuable, not vulnerable.